<laughs> yeah. No one quite like Pastor Ray, huh? Hey, that's, uh, that's like the greatest introduction I've ever received in my life. So yeah, I'm very, I'm very, very humbled by that. Um, I want to just uh, take my turn just, just to pray right now. Just ask the Lord simply but sincerely uh, need. Father, we pray because our theology says we have to. Because um, apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. So we just add this moment right now just to declare need and desire for you to do what only you can do for you to speak. I, I deeply desire you would encourage um, your church, your sons and daughters, uh, through this uh, message and passage this evening. Please, would that be what um, happens by your Holy Spirit and uh, you would get more glory as uh, men and women and children are spurred on to continue to fight this good fight, to continue to see Christ, to continue to persevere in this difficult world because, wow, we have every reason to. And one day soon you will return and gather us to your own. And so we uh, delight in that truth and we look to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, you can say amen. Amen. Hope Ottawa, so good to be here. Long overdue. I guess I received that. That's so good though. And uh, better late than never, huh? That's so true too. Um, my uh, family and I, so my oldest son's at McMaster University, so we're March break right now, so he's at school. So the five of us came up, we drove up on Thursday, uh, we got here, and um, bombing along the 401, it's great, and so we're trying to make the most out of our couple of days here. So we got here, we went to the Canadian uh, History Museum, and that was excellent. It's free from Thursdays from 5 to 7, if you didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. So we took it, my, my wife's a great planner, so uh, we took advantage of that. Then we had some pizza in Hull, and that was also very delicious. We enjoyed that. It rained a lot yesterday, didn't it? And so we, uh, in the rain, we walked from our hotel to Parliament Hill, and uh, the kids didn't complain. It was freezing cold and very wet. Walked to Parliament Hill. We also walked through Chateau Laurier and pretended we belonged there, right? And so <laughs> they didn't kick us out right away. And uh, just went to Parliament Hill. I didn't realize so much construction was going on there at all, so that was interesting, but enjoyed that as well. And then... Um, well, we came home. I went to the Rito Center for a little bit. I brought my wife a gift. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Try to score some points. And then uh, we ended up going to a movie. Jill and I saw a movie, The Jesus Revolution. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, really, really. We saw it at Scotiabank Theater right here somewhere. Is it somewhere close? And uh, that was a blessing. I may or may not have shed a couple of tears uh, during that movie, powerful portrayal of the gospel. I'm deeply invested in that story, too, with friends I know who have literally were saved within that older man I look up to so much. So that meant a lot to me. And then this morning, woke up, and um, we went to Rideau Hall. We got a tour of that. And uh, my wife and I did that. And then we went to, and then we went to the uh, War Museum today. Yeah, I don't want to belabor this, whatever. We're, we're trying to maximize our time here, right? And then there's an exhibit at the War Museum right now of a man called Alfred Munnings who painted World War I um, scenery of horses in war. And his name's Alfred Munnings. And when we found that out, you know why? Because my wife, Jill, she's related to him. So her last name's Munnings. And so um, we're going to find out the exact relation, but her grandpa was all over this guy, Alfred Munnings. So we couldn't believe it. We saw it in a post walking through downtown Ottawa. I'm like, Joe, look, there's an exhibit on Munnings. So we went today, and all the kids were there, and I said, I'm not related to him, but all the rest of your family, this is your blood, man. So yeah, so you should be excited. And it was really, really great, and we really enjoyed that. And so anyways, all that, so good. But all I have to say this, we did all that, but this is where we want to be right here, right now. And this place and this church, this is eternal. The rest of it is not. 
but this is. And for that, we praise the Lord for that to be with you here at Hope Ottawa, all right? If you could open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That would be so good. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And um, I believe you'll be encouraged by our sermon title this weekend. Here is our sermon title. Oh, if you need Bibles. If you need a Bible, put your hand up, please. You got your hand up if you need a Bible, nice and high. And the ushers would love to give you a Bible. Just keep your hand up right there. I think one in the back over to my left. Excellent. Need a Bible, and they will give that to you. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, and our um, sermon title this weekend is this, Who Needs Some Encouragement? Who needs some encouragement? One of you here today, all in favor of some encouragement today? All in favor? Good, good, good. That makes most of us then, and I'm very excited for that, because let's be honest, uh, the last couple of years have been not so, all right? The last couple of years and and not quite again over all that's happened in the last couple of years and feeling it on many different levels. It's been so interesting to see and to trust in God's sovereignty, but also to recognize how difficult much of the last couple of years has been. So spiritual encouragement is always, always wanted. And the best type of encouragement, loved ones, of course, is the Lord's encouragement. Amen? And where does his encouragement come from? It comes from his word. So that is why it's so good to be together right now to encourage one another, but to encourage each other as the church to be in the word together, to hear the voice of God in the presence of the Lord where he is speaking, filling, blessing, uniting, and uplifting. And that's what we seek to do right now. And we're going to get that from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. I'm going to read it for us, and then we will jump in together. Paul, again, writing from prison in his kind of last remaining days is deeply desiring to encourage Timothy, listen, who needed it. Timothy, timid, Timothy, fearful, Timothy, a young man against tremendous opposition. He needed massive encouragement. And we're in the same place. I mean, here we are in this land and this, and this world and this nation and darkness and the uncertainty of what's going to happen day to day, but the certainty of our Lord and who he is. And that's what we see right now. So Look what he says, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. I love this. But the word of God is not bound. Amen? The word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Why, Paul? Why, why, why? So that they also they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, notice, this is sobering, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he, though, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay, so from this text today, we're going to move through this I hope, again, we're going to move through it with clarity, but also, again, with some unpacking here, four encouragements from our text today, four encouragements. May the Lord bless you personally. I I really, really, really have a heart for you where you are right now, not here by accident. The Lord will speak to you personally today to encourage you with his word right now. So I have four encouragements. Encouragement number one is this. Encouragement number one, if you remember anything, remember Jesus. If you remember anything in life, Remember Jesus. Again, look at verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Indeed, remember Jesus Christ, hope, Ottawa. 
Paul, again, he is encouraging his young student here, Timothy. Say, Timothy, fix your eyes. Rivet your attention upon Jesus Christ. Why, why, why? Because if you remember every, anything, remember that Jesus is everything. If you remember anything growing up with our kids, and I still do it from time to time too, I say to my kids growing up, kids, 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 if you do anything in life, anything in life, love Jesus like crazy. Because if you do that, you're good. Life will not be easy, but it will be awesome. Life will not be free of trial, but it will be so good because that's what Jesus Christ does. It's amazing how that's so true. If you do anything in this life, anything at all, one thing, do this. Love Jesus like crazy. Paul's words, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So some pastoral transparency for you. These past couple of years for me has been the most burdensome from a leadership perspective in the sense of the testing and trying and all that we've been through, all of us, in so many ways. Many of my colleagues are suffering. Many have resigned. Some have been sidelined in despair. Others have been exhausted in division. I watched several people again through the last couple of years. I say, in some ways, they seem to lose their minds over the issues of our day. And it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart to see the things that we've been faced with so much of it doesn't make sense. I mean, you're looking around, uh, you know, Ray just mentioned in his prayer too, he's talking, it's just like the news, who can we trust? Who can we look to? The stuff that we receive, what is actually real? What is false? Where do we go? Who can we trust? I know who you can trust. You can trust Jesus Christ. The safest place I know, I mean this so sincerely, the safest place I know in the midst of the world that we live in right now is with an open Bible and a sincere prayer to the living God. Because when I am there, open Bible, seeking the Lord, this I know is true. He is the one that we can trust. When we rest our lives upon him and his word, then that is a safety that is supernatural upon us. And wow, do we need that right now more than ever in this nation. God, would you comfort your people with understanding you can be trusted, your word is true. You are so, so good. Now, Paul in verse 8 here is not so much telling Timothy to remember Jesus risen from the dead as a historical fact, which it is, of course, but more so what he's doing here with Timothy, he's saying, remember, Timothy, Jesus is alive. Jesus is victory. Jesus is Lord. That's what he's trying to get Timothy to remember on a day-by-day basis. Timothy, there's a lot of suffering out there. There's a lot of suffering, but be encouraged. Jesus is undefeated for all time. Aren't you so glad if you belong to Jesus Christ here today? Aren't you so glad when you sit back that you know Jesus Christ and therefore you cannot lose ever? Because Jesus Christ is what he is absolutely sufficient. There is no one like him. Just the way that our solar system The sun in our solar system easily provides for seven plus billion humans. Is it eight billion now? Is it eight billion now? It needs to be happening so fast. And not to mention our sun provides life and energy for billions and trillions of creatures and living things across this planet. Jesus Christ is the sustaining power and all-sufficient one. Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews 1, upholds the universe with his power. 
It says in Colossians 1, in him all things hold together. In John chapter 1, all things were made through him, and in him is life. So Jesus Christ then is the son of righteousness. He's the fountain of life. Wherever his beams reach, whatever his light touches, it brings life. Jesus Christ is the perfect sufficiency of glory. As one said, he is the son of the soul. And can we be honest right now that often though when we approach Jesus in life and maybe as we seek things from him as the one who is all sufficient, but often we can approach Jesus like he's a vending machine. We forget that he is absolutely perfectly sufficient and that he himself is the absolute definition of blessing. So often what we do with Jesus, we're like, Jesus, um, could I have, please, one good job? Can I have a home that is peaceful? Can I have the sun shine down on my face? And on the side, can I have a good night's sleep? Can we be honest that often we approach Jesus of what he's actually supposed to give us and these certain things that happen on a day-to-day basis? Those things are bad things, but they are certainly not the best things. Well, we have to understand this is so, so important, and it's theologically, it's easy to miss. We often approach Jesus, can you fulfill me with the things I think I need? But we must understand at the core, Jesus Christ himself is fulfillment. He is the blessing. He is the answer. Remember Jesus Christ. See, it's not what Christ gives us, in essence, that gives us joy. Christ is the joy. He himself is the joy. Paul's in prison. He has abundant joy. Why? He's in prison because he's packed with Jesus. If you are packed with Jesus, then nothing ever will be able to steal your joy because Christ himself in his presence is inexhaustible in joy and power and grace. Again, again, think about that right now and maybe just take a moment and how subtle, even in our good desires, we seek Jesus, please give me, we hold out our hands and we fail to realize he himself is a blessing that is absolutely unparalleled. In John chapter six, the feeding of the 5,000 and the people are enamored with the material food that Jesus can give. So the crowds flock to him and they're like, give us more bread, give us more bread. Jesus starts talking about the bread from heaven. The people light up, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus turns and says to them and says what? He says, I am the bread of life. You are looking to be fed materially. The greatest thing you need is that which is spiritual. And Jesus says, stop looking at the world for bread. I am the bread of life. So no wonder then, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, man, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Because when you do that, I like your chances. If you remember anything, remember Jesus. Man, that is such a powerful, awesome encouragement for us today. And I pray the Lord is speaking even to you right now where you are in your life, how that starting point a foundational encouragement is life-changing in and of itself. Encouragement number two, just gonna say what the text says here. Encouragement number two for you today, it is impossible to imprison the word of God. It is impossible to imprison, and I love this point so much. So take heart, right? The encouragement train keeps coming. Look at verse nine. Verse nine says, um, preach to my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, notice, but the word of God is not bound. What a great verse. So 
Paul has suffered because of the gospel. Paul communicates he's in chains because of the gospel. But you can also almost feel his faith here, can't you? You can kind of sense his excitement and his conviction. And what is it about? He says, you can never imprison God's word. Again, this is so, so encouraging. So Paul might be imprisoned, but it is impossible to imprison the word of God. What a great word for us today. So much to say here. You know what? I, I personally delight. I, I love history. I love church history. I love the history of the Bible and how people related to it again over the centuries and years. It just builds my faith so much. You know how many people have predicted that the Bible would disappear or be destroyed over the centuries? So many people have predicted that the word of God would be gone. So many have opposed, hated, and burned the word of God again over the centuries. And yet, generation after generation comes, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, right? Loved ones, being so encouraged, no book has been more opposed in history than this one right here. No book has been hated more than this book right here. No book has been tried to be destroyed than this book right here. Yet I love how the quote goes. It goes like this. It says, but the Bible always seems to rise up and outlive its pallbearers. Think about it. Isn't that so good? All the people have tried to, the pallbearers taking the book, and they're, and they're saying it's over, it's dead, and they die, but the word of God continues on. The Bible always rises up to outlive its pallbearers. So be so encouraged. Again, your faith in this place and your desire to stand on God's word and love Jesus Christ and to pray to him, and the Lord sees that, and he loves you, loves you, loves you in it as well. John MacArthur shares about this verse that in ancient Rome, there were 600 miles of catacombs under the city. Nearly all of them were dug by Christians. Ten generations of Christians used them over a 300-year period for meeting places for worship. Imagine that. Hundreds of miles of catacombs under the city of Rome, most of which were used by Christians to meet in places of worship again and the reality of the persecution that they were facing. A common inscription found on the walls underground were this, was this, quote, the word of God is not bound. How cool is that, eh? They're under the city, they've dug out the catacombs, they're meeting there for worship, and they know you can persecute us, but the reality is the word of God is not bound, written on the walls again over all those centuries. I mean, I think that's appropriate right now. You can turn to your neighbor and you can just say, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Go ahead. Take advantage. It is pretty awesome. It is. I love the insight too, okay? So, so, so think about this too. We have the benefit now, since Paul wrote this 1,900 years plus after the fact when he wrote this. So think about, he says the word of God is not bound. He's in prison. He's about to die for his faith in Jesus Christ. But as he writes this letter, okay, think with me, I love this so much. He is literally writing down the word of God. He is literally penning the word of God. Now think about that. Here we are, 1,900 plus years later, in a continent unknown to Paul at that time, in a country he could not have foreseen, to a people he could not have imagined gathering together here in Ottawa, in the nation's capital of Canada, and our youthful country in terms. And here we are, holding the very word of God that Paul says, in this prison cell, 
writing to young Timothy and he says, the word of God is not bound. And we say right now, absolutely true, that is right. Amen, church? That is so encouraging. That is, amen, well, clap for that, clap for that. I love a clap at church. So good. That encourages me to say it right now to you. I mean, here we are living out the truth of what Paul penned, again, 1,900 plus years ago. Just amazing. Why? Because God has written his book, and no one, no one will stand in the way of it. We have such reason to have such faith. It was the French philosopher Voltaire who disdained Christianity and hated the Bible. And I researched this carefully because there's a few uh, conflicting reports. But reportedly, he predicted the end of the Bible within a hundred years of his death. In a wonderful twist of providence, maybe you've heard this, 58 years after his death, Voltaire's house would be the one that would be used to house and store Bibles by the Bible Society. That's so great. That's so great. And that is true, and you can look it up. Okay, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, and that's because God wrote a book. And when God writes a book, it tends to do well, right? I mean, you can be assured of that, and again, we know it is. So be so encouraged. It is impossible to imprison the Word of God. It doesn't matter what our government does. It doesn't matter what laws come down. It doesn't matter where culture goes. It doesn't matter what they say or do or how much they might hate what's happening in the things of Jesus Christ and his word. The word of God is not bound. In fact, the more they try to control it, the more that usually explodes from there. And so we are so blessed. Isn't that encouraging, church? Isn't it so encouraging today? You're encouraged, man. You are in the right place and you are serving the right God. A couple of quotes for you. Again, I love quotes like this. The first one's Bernard Ram on the screen for you. A thousand times over, The death knell of the Bible has been sounded, the funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read, but somehow the corpse never stays put. Amen. Another one by Charles Spurgeon, he says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is to let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Oh, be so encouraged. What a shot in the arm this is for us. Even here right now, you cannot stop the word. You cannot stop the gospel. Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where the one line says, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Right? They can kill us, but the word continues, right? You can take my life, but you cannot take, again, my freedom. I'm not trying to quote Braveheart there, okay? But again, you cannot take the freedom that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, what Paul was saying this, as God's word was literally being written, again, we have 2,000 years of proof to fuel our faith This isn't a cross your fingers, oh, I hope the word stands. We know, we know, we know. Man, the word of God will never be in prison. Encouragement number three is this, moving along in the text. Encouragement number three for you. I need to hear this this week. My suffering's not in vain. My suffering is not in vain. Look at at verse 10. Therefore, right, therefore, because, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, therefore, because the word of God could not be in prison, the word of God is not bound, therefore, because of this, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Okay, so you see what he's saying here? He's like, my suffering for the gospel is worth it. Why, why, why? If you look at verse 10, because by it, by my suffering, others will be saved to glory. 
You see what he's saying? He's like, when I put on the scale what actually matters in life and what's of value, he says, my suffering weighed against the salvation of eternal glory of lost people being saved, suffering, lives being saved for glory, suffering, and the, and the weight falls eternally on the side of lives being changed for salvation and glory in Jesus Christ. This is the same Paul, again, who said in 2 Corinthians 4, for these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's not that the afflictions in our lives don't hurt or don't mean something. It just means when compared to the eternal weight of glory, they are very, very light. You know one of the biggest secrets of Paul's life and heart? It's not supposed to be a secret. His value of eternity, his eternal value It came up over and over and over again. He sees the price of someone's salvation in eternity worth, again, so much more than his suffering presently. Paul's life is so challenging to the rest of us, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 58, um, continue to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, right? Be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, right? Because, again, our labor is not in vain. It's understanding this is what encourages us and keeps us going. He doesn't, it's interesting too, this powerful theology in this verse, notice he says, for I endure everything for the sake of the elect. For the sake of the elect, Paul knows what? Paul knows when he says that God is always saving. Paul knows that God has chosen and God is saving. So Paul understands even when he doesn't see it, the Lord is working. Even when he doesn't feel it, he knows that God is working. Someone should write a song about that, eh? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. It's so true, though. Church, it's so true. It's not about how we feel. It's not even what we see. It's the reality. He says, God has his people out there, so therefore, I endure everything because at some point, in some way, in some time, God is going to call those who are his to himself, and they will be saved again for eternity. Paul, listen, Paul doesn't know who. Paul doesn't know when. But Paul knows God will. Right? Now, when it comes to the doctrine of election, which is right here in our text, I gotta admit to you, man, it, it's a mind-blowing trying to, I, I personally love the doctrine of election. I can't fully explain it to you. Bible teaches the responsibility of man. The Bible also teaches the sovereignty of God massively, but it's hard to deny here in text after text after text that God is working sovereignly ultimately over salvation. Now, here's the critique, though. People say, oh, you believe doctrine of election. That means then you don't wanna see evangelism. Well, that means you just sit back and do nothing. Is that what Paul did? I mean, notice here, notice here, does this decrease Paul's desire for evangelism? What it does, it actually increases it. He's like, because I know God's saving, because I know there's people out there God is going to save and change forever, he's like, this is what actually fuels me to suffer to the point of death that others might be saved and God will take their name and give them eternal life and that's what spurs me on even more so for the effectiveness of the gospel. Right here in the text, Pretty powerful to me and very, very encouraging as well. Paul's ultimate conclusion is, is suffer now that others might be saved and then rejoice in eternal glory with Jesus. Wow, I mean, it's such an encouragement to know that our suffering for Christ, for Christ, for Christ, he's not talking about suffering because of our sin. 
Suffering for Christ is not in vain. Lord, help us to release the temporal for more of the eternal. What I love too, loved ones, what I love so much too, in some way, in some way and in some form, we're going to get to heaven and 100% of the glory is for Jesus Christ. But I have to imagine, we're going to have conversations in heaven and we're going to meet people and they're going to come up to us. I pray this is true for every single person here. We're going to meet people and say, hey, you know what? It was all the Lord. It was all his grace. All glory goes to Jesus Christ. But God used you in my life. When you had that conversation and you spoke to me about the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what God used because God is the vine, but he uses the branches with us and his church and to bear fruit. And when you talked to me about Jesus Christ that day, God used that to plant seeds and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ and I gave my life to him and I am now safe for all of eternity because God in his grace chose to use you to speak to me and show me the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's gonna happen in heaven. How exactly? I'm not sure. We were gonna have multiple cars. Can you imagine that moment? Just, it's important us to just take a deep breath sometimes and sit back and I gotta stop talking so fast but able just to imagine those moments where we're gonna have those conversations I mean how awesome will that be and that's encouraging to continue to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ and to recognize that even when we don't see it, the Lord is working. And then to imagine that day. I mean, imagine that day and you're in glory. And that person comes up to you. All glory to Jesus Christ. You, you, you hear me on that a hundred times. But he chooses to use his church. It's his design in the process. Our suffering will be worth it. God help us, eh? God help us. I want to confess to you. So Jill and I are coming up on um, 20 years since our core group started. That will be May. In a couple of months, 20 years since the core group started and being in the church in Oakville when it was four of us and then eight of us and where we are now. And uh, you're, you're in any one place for 20 years, you're going to see a lot of stuff. You're going to see a lot of good. You're going to have a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of joy. There's going to be a lot of trial. There's going to be a lot of victory and there's going to be a lot of suffering. And there is. And there is. And, um, you know, there's been moments and for Jill and I many moments where we're just like can we keep doing this um, the opposition the difficulty sometimes the attack the spiritual stuff that goes on the exhaustion the weariness not many people see not many people know sometimes you wonder if anyone cares <laughs> and just the reality of of ministry though and I I can say this too um, on behalf of Ray and Natalie and their family too I'm just so thankful for the love I see from you to them because there's an aspect of what Ray does and Natalie does, that it's very, very, very hard for others to understand. And the care and the love and the grace that you would extend knowing they're not perfect, but you love them and you want to bless them and you want God to preserve them because there's so much that happens, again, that it's hard to express the, the tears I shed by myself that only the Lord sees. But it's worth it. I, I, I don't say that for pity, or, but I say that for understanding and grace and love, and it's worth it. All forms of suffering will not be in vain. And right now this word is speaking to me, speaking of suffering on levels that I could never understand. William Tyndale is one of the heroes of the faith for me. William Tyndale was used to first produce the English Bible from the Greek translation 
Okay, That's what Tyndale was used for, and he did it under immense persecution. One of his most famous quotes, he said this to a priest who was opposing him in the process of trying to translate from the Greek to the English language so the common person can just read the Bible in their own tongue. He says to a priest, if God spares my life, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know the scriptures more than you do. God would allow Tyndale's life to be used in this way. However, Tyndale would pay also with his life for getting the Bible into the language of the people, again, English. He would come down to the point he would be caught, he would be tied to a wood post, he would be strangled, and then he would be burned at the stake for printing the Bible in English. Now, as he was being strangled, he cried out, because this was the edict of the king to kill him for his work on the Bible, he cried out, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Two years later, Tyndale's prayer would be answered. Two years later, the king permitted the English Bible to be distributed throughout the land. Now, that's a massive encouragement for us because here's what I want you to know. The Bible that I hold in my hand right now, 80% of it was the work of Tyndale. 80% of the work of the Bible that I hold and you hold in your hand right now in English was the work of Tyndale. Let's summarize our point so far do you think the suffering of Tyndale was in vain? How, how can you count the millions and millions of people whose lives have been eternally transformed by the English Bible? Hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, lives have been saved for all of eternity, and you could trace it back to the faith and the sacrifice and the suffering of this guy at least, and there's lots of others on the way, but he died to see the English in his language. His suffering was not in vain. What does Tyndall also prove to us? The word of God is not bound, amen? The word of God is not bound. I mean, he proves his life. He died, burned at the stake, strangled, but the word of God is not bound. God used him, and of course, as we take it back, the whole point of scriptures is, the whole point of the Bible is, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's the whole message. And so Tyndall's life pictures for us right now. Remember Jesus Christ. The word of God is not bound. And my suffering for Jesus Christ is not in vain. Church, be encouraged. Be encouraged today. So, so much to live for and so much to be thankful for with the right perspective. Hey, God, lift our eyes from our smartphones a little more, amen? Lift our eyes from our devices. Lift our eyes from the news. Lift our eyes from social media. Lift our eyes from the incessant self-obsession we have with ourselves. Lift our eyes from navel-gazing so much. Help us to look up. And right now the Lord's like, look up. Look up, Hope Ottawa. Look up. Look at Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Look at the awesome nature of his word. Look at the reality, your suffering's not in vain. And then encouragement number four, and this is our last one, is this. You can take God's promises to the spiritual bank. Encouragement number four, you can take God's promises to the spiritual bank. Look at verse 11 now. It's interesting. Paul says, now the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains Faithful. This is likely part of an early Christian hymn. It's packed with promises that you can cash. I'm really trying to discipline myself to take God at his word. When he makes a promise, he wants us to take that check and cash it. That's why he promises it to us. Promise, promise number one is this. If we die with Christ, we will also live with Christ. Yet again, right? so, so if we are saved in Christ... 
that means we are also crucified in Christ. If we are crucified in Christ, that means we are dead to sin. If we are dead to sin, that means even if we die, we shall live. Again, the Bible is giving us perspective here. Jesus Christ is the resurrection, the life. If you are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, though you die, yet shall you live. Again, if we die with Christ, we will be raised with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The second promise here, notice, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So this is, again, church, the call to persevere in Jesus Christ. If we persevere, we will also reign. What God has started, he will finish. Those who endure to the end will be saved, right? This is Paul, 2 Timothy 4, at the end, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, amen. I have kept the faith. Right? He says, I have kept the faith because the Lord, again, is awaiting for me. The crown of righteousness is laid up for me that will be awarded to me on that day, capital D, day, return of Jesus Christ, and also for all who have loved his appearing. You see that? that if you persevere, you finish the, finish the race, kept the faith, right? Again, right? Fought the good fight. Then the promise is the crown of righteousness is awaiting us who do not give up but persevere. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. What a promise, what a promise. God, help us to not give up. And today, again, I try to, I try to tell myself, again, Robbie, just, just seek the Lord today. Today has enough worry of its own. Tomorrow, worry about itself, Matthew 6. Today, keep your head down, love the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your eyes up, love your wife. Try to love your family, man, be faithful to the Lord. Just keep, get your hand, hand in the word, in the word, follow Christ and if we do that today, today's a good day. That's a good day for you and for me. Promise number three, almost done here. If we deny him, he will deny us. So we have positive promises, now we have sobering promises. I wonder who this is for right now. If we deny him, he will deny us. So God is true to his promises in life, but hear me, hear me here, just gotta preach what the word says. God is also true to his promises in death. That's the sobering part. If, if we accept him, we live with him forever. But listen, in love and truth, if we reject him, then the promise is he will reject us. Whoever is ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed before my father of him. His promises of life, but his promises also in death. If we reject him, I wonder even just like, I don't know who's here right now. The Lord knows exactly. Maybe you're in a place right now and you've been living your life and you've been in a series or a place of church. You have maybe understanding of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Maybe you've heard about Jesus a lot. Maybe you have head knowledge. It happens a lot. There's a knowledge in your head. It's never actually transferred to your heart. Maybe if you're totally honest, you're sitting here right now. You're a young person. Maybe you're an old person. And the reality is, is that Jesus just has never really meant to you what he should there's been an acknowledgement of some kind, but there's never been a life that's backed it up. And maybe the truth is that you just haven't cared. And so you might sit in church every now and then, but you actually, when you go out there, there's a rejection of Jesus Christ. He loves us enough to let us know if we reject him, then he will deny us. But listen, he hasn't returned yet. 
which means the opportunity for grace is here still with his arms of grace wide open for all who sincerely come to him, who believe in him and love him, all their sins will be forgiven and they will receive everlasting life. This is the love of God guaranteed for those who receive the gift of forgiveness of sins by grace through faith. Is that you tonight? Is that you for being here right now in this place? That maybe for the first time ever and truly and really that Jesus Christ would become Lord and Savior and that you will no longer reject him but love him, and then your eternity is secure. You will never die, and the promises of Christ are now yours forever and ever. Amen. If that is you, I just do not wait another second. Know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is real and true and Savior and Lord, and you confess your sins and receive his everlasting life. Please, Lord, please, Lord. It would be so awesome if you would work in that way even here now. And the fourth promise in this early Christian hymn here is even when we are faithless, so even when we are faithless, I think that's referring to unbelievers or those in apostasy, God's character remains unchanged, right? So meaning God will remain faithful to his promises to believers in eternal life and faithful to his promises to unbelievers as well in terms of his character, right? So the promises of God you can take to the spiritual bank. It doesn't matter what happens in our society. God is faithful to his character. doesn't matter what culture does. God is faithful to his character. doesn't matter how much society turns on him. God is faithful to his character. And with your, if, if you're with God, I like your chances. If you're on God's team, I like your chances. I always say this too, man, like when you are in the team of Jesus Christ, you get into your huddle of life. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a former jock, okay, so I like sports illustrations every now and then. When you get into your huddle of life, you're kind of looking at your team. You know, you size up your team, like hey, who do we got, who do we got, who do we got? And you're kind of, oh, we got some good players. We're gonna be maybe a, a good team this year. You get in the huddle of life and you're saved in Jesus Christ. You look across the huddle and God's on your team. And you're like, God's on my team? And he's like, yeah, bro, I got you. And you're like, if God's on my team, I, th- I think we're gonna do pretty good. Right, right? In fact, you're like, I don't think we can lose. Because God Father, you know, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he's undefeated over all time, undisputed champion of the universe. I mean, he's the one who holds the keys to death in Hades. He's the author of life and salvation. He is the very again bread of life. He's the great I am. There's none like him. You're in the huddle of life, and you're like, God's on my team. I'm just like, I, I, I think we're going to do pretty good. And you are. Because if God is for you, who can be against you and therefore if God is for you be encouraged this just in you win you win and so loved ones this way we can die and yet we will live forever isn't that awesome so I've come up here from Toronto this weekend for this purpose right here right now to encourage you that Jesus Christ is awesome if you remember anything remember Jesus Christ that the word of God will never, ever be bound, ever. That your suffering is not in vain. And listen, you take every promise God makes and you take it to the spiritual bank because God is good on his word. Much love to you. Let's just pray right now. Let's just pray and thank him for this reality. Father, thank you for your word. I just love verse by verse. Here we are. Your wonderful, beautiful, powerful encouragement. And so, um, church, I just encourage you just to Take a very deep spiritual breath right now and receive what the Lord has given to you through his word. 
this evening. He loves you. He is for you. He is your sufficiency. Maybe where you are right now, and just it's a, it's a time of confession. Jesus, I have been looking at the world for my satisfaction. I repent of that now. You alone are sufficiency. Maybe just the reminder that the word of God is not bound, how beautiful and powerful, and your faith is strengthened. You're like, Lord, I never want to be ashamed of you. Forgive us when we are. Please, God, oh, just cleanse us. I pray you take the suffering represented in this room in different forms and different places and help us to believe. I mean, compared to guys like Tyndale and Paul, wow. But it's never in vain. And then just the promises, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are good. And I pray for this church, Hope Ottawa, in Jesus' name. I pray for favor. I pray for delight. I pray for the presence of God. In fullness, I pray for joy. I pray for growth. I pray for purity. I pray for power. Lord, I pray you will bless this church in ways they have not yet imagined. You will provide for them, Lord, practically and spiritually. And you will move, move. Lord, I pray so much for Pastor Ray. You will bless him and his marriage and his family and the leaders and Kevin, Lord, and all those who, this beautiful team here tonight, serving, serving, serving. Oh, encourage them mightily, mightily, God to continue to not grow weary and doing good at the proper time they'll reap a harvest if they did not give up. Please, Lord, please, Lord, sustain them, strengthen them, and just fill them with love from you. Let them know how loved they are. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful church. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Church,